All right, I want you to notice verse 18 of Ezekiel chapter 11. It says, And they shall come hither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart, and will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart of their flesh, and will give them an heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep mine ordinances, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith the Lord God. So right here we have a a prophetic passage, and I don't have time to get into all the details of the prophecy of this and kind of prove a lot of what I believe about this passage. But I do want to mainly get at the spiritual truth here. And one thing that we see here in this passage is that God had a desire to really do a spiritual heart, heart transplant with Israel. And I believe God wants to do spiritual heart transplants with people today. God wants to take that stony heart out and give people that heart of flesh. And Israel, during this time, when Ezekiel's given this prophecy, they are at a very backslidden state. In fact, they were under the judgment of God when this prophecy was given. And more judgment was coming. More bad stuff is coming their way because God's trying to fix them. God's trying to get them to return to him But, you know, God had always, from the beginning, had a desire to have a people whose hearts were perfect towards him. We see in Deuteronomy 10, 16, God said way back then, after he's given them all these laws, after he's given them all these rules, he says in Deuteronomy 10, 16, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Now, you can't literally do that, but spiritually you can, and God's given them all these laws and things that they're supposed to do. And while Israel did do a lot of those things, sometimes they did really good. Sometimes they did terrible. But either way, the real problem that Israel always had, it was a heart problem. In fact, even when they were doing things right in many cases, God still wasn't pleased with them because they had a heart problem. And that's what we end up seeing later on in the gospels. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 15. So when the Messiah showed up, in Israel, their hearts were not prepared to receive the Messiah like they were supposed to be, like they were told to get ready. They were the, you know, the preaching of Elijah or what John the Baptist was supposed to prepare the hearts of the people, but they rejected the preaching of John the Baptist. Jesus Christ comes and he preaches and they rejected the preaching of Jesus Christ. And in this story we're going to look at here in Matthew chapter 15, they are in the process of rejecting the Messiah. These are people, Jesus has come, and he's wanting to do a heart transplant on Israel, but they're not willing to receive that heart transplant. You know, God doesn't force things on us. He doesn't. I mean, I'm sorry, I I know the Calvinists are trying to convince people that he does, but he just doesn't do it. We see God trying to do things in the Bible, and yet him not succeeding. You know why? Because God doesn't take away our free will. We have a free will, and it is his desire to change our hearts, but we have to be willing to receive it, Israel as a whole did not receive that heart transplant. And you know, there are many religious people today who practice Christianity, who practice being a Baptist, but they need a heart transplant. They've still got a heart of stone. They still are not right with God. And often as a preacher, when you're you're, you're preaching the Bible and you're teaching, you, you know, feel like spiritually you're trying to do heart surgery. It's like you're trying to do a heart transplant and it's just like people aren't getting it. It's kind of like 
you know, and I'm not a doctor. I obviously, you know, you wouldn't want me cutting you open for anything. But, you know, I've heard about, I've known some people that have had literal heart transplants done. And I know one thing that whenever they do a heart transplant, you know, their, the doctor's hope and desire is that the body will accept it. It's like they can do all the things that they do to hook it up. Right? And I have no idea what they do. But at the end of the day, sometimes that person's body will not accept that heart and it doesn't work. You know, it's, it is a very dangerous procedure. And often God tries to do heart transplants in the lives of people, but they won't receive it. They will not accept it. And it does not work because of their stubbornness, unbelief, you know, whatever. And so what I want to, I want to show you here in Matthew chapter 15, how Jesus is trying to get at the heart of a matter and get a, a spiritual message across these people. It's like he's trying to do a heart transplant here on these people, and they're just not receiving it. And it's a, and often that's how it is. We have, and that the title of my message today is failed heart transplants. And I just want to show you what it looks like when, you know, the body just doesn't want to receive the new heart. You know, when you try to do it and it just doesn't work. But let's look at verse 1. And it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, here we have the Pharisees who really were impressed with their practice and their performance as Jews. And one of their traditions that they had that is not a bad tradition, in fact, you could say it's a good tradition. Wouldn't we all say that washing our hands is a good tradition? I mean, especially in 2020, right? We should all be washing our hands. That's what they've been telling us. That's not a bad tradition. But here we've got these Pharisees who are not saved, whose hearts are wicked, that in their insides, Jesus said, they're like sepulchers. They're full of dead men's bones. That's how they were spiritually. But you know what? They had this practice of washing their hands. And you know what? The disciples weren't washing their hands. And so they, they come to Jesus. Hey, why don't your disciples follow the tradition of the elders? This is a good tradition. And then Jesus, he turns it around on them. And he says, he, but he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the command of God? By your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now, I've talked about this tradition before. I'm not going to get into it, but very clearly, though, whatever the tradition is, Jesus is telling him, Your tradition is causing you to violate a clear command in the Bible. They said, you've made the word of God, which trumps any tradition. Okay, folks, traditions aren't bad, okay, unless they violate the word of God or cause us to violate the word of God. We have a lot of traditions at this church that are our traditions. And I believe those are fine unless they start causing us to be disobedient to the word of God or they're, they're, uh, they're not a problem until we make them equal with the word of God. If we're just like, listen, so, far, so you know, folks, I know we need to, but we cannot possibly cancel our inspiration. I know, you know, circumstances call for something else. I know there's, but cause that's just our tradition and we can't do that. And we're not violating. And, and we put it like on the same level, you know, as not forsaking the assembling or something like that. It's like, no, we don't, we don't do that. Okay. 
Now we've made that tradition more than what it should be, and we're in sin. But a tradition by itself is not a bad thing, but theirs was because it was causing them to sin. So Jesus doesn't even answer their question about why his disciples don't wash their hands right here, but he reveals their hypocrisy by showing how one of their precious traditions caused a violation of the law, which everyone would agree is more important. And often traditions, they end up doing more harm than good. And often traditions are even counterproductive to what God wants. Because remember, God wants us to have the right heart. God wants our hearts right. That's what he's looking for. God's looking for that heart that's perfect towards him. God's looking for that heart of flesh. And sometimes traditions, they often end up doing damage. And so in verse 7, Jesus said, O ye ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So right there he's showing how the problem with their traditions is they were teaching these things as Bible doctrines. They're just commandments of men. These aren't equal with Bible doctrine. In fact, these traditions that they're doing, it's causing them to worship me in vain. They're doing the worship, but it's empty. It's not from the heart. Therefore, I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't accept it. This is not what God wanted. God didn't want, God wasn't looking so much for people who just, you know, were all into all the intricate details. He was looking for people who were just right with him. And people who had hearts right were probably going to go along with the intricate details. But at the same time, you know, you can follow the intricate details of something and have a bad heart. And that was their problem. That's what they had going on. Their traditions were empty and vain, and it was actually causing them to sin. They made a bigger deal about their made-up traditions than they did the clear commands of God. Now, what's a way that we could do this today? Okay, Because there's ways that we could do this, all right? And I haven't seen anybody do this, but here's just an example of something that we could easily do where we could take a tradition that is not bad but actually end up doing more harm than good, all right? So let's go to Acts chapter 2. All right, I'm going to make up a tradition right now, but it's, going to, it's okay. It's Bible-based. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all they that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. All right, I want you to notice in there what they did. They sold everything they had, and they had all things in common. You know what? We all need to sell everything we have and just all live on a commune and live off each other. Isn't that what they did right here? So now, is this a command, or is this just what they did? Okay, It's, it's not a command, folks. It's just what they did. You know, people do that all the time. They'll show where they did something in Acts. And then they will say, this is how you have to do it. That's out of line. Now, often we can take things that they did in Acts and we can pattern what we do after that. But then it's a tradition. But as long as that tradition doesn't cause us to violate the word of God, that's okay. It's okay for us to follow that kind of thing. But notice what else they did, all right? And I'm not even going to try to push, you know, everybody selling everything they have unless it's all, you know, getting one bank account and taking care of each other like that. I don't think that's a good idea. 
But notice how it mentions that they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. It says that also in Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You know what, folks? We're starting daily church. What does it say in the Bible? Daily. You know, some of y'all, you're so lame, you're so weak. I'm sick of these pathetic, lame, weak Baptists that they only want to meet weekly when the Bible says daily. What's wrong with all of you? You know what? We're daily doing it. Now, this is just what they did. Okay? They were daily meeting in the temple. And you know what? Where's what we're going to do? You know, we're not going to have like a preaching service, but we're going to have a daily scripture reading. We're going to be like those Bereans that they're daily. I mean, they're in the scriptures. They're checking these things with the word of God. Now, let me ask you, what makes you think they did it daily back then, too? Like when it came to scripture reading and stuff like that. You know, they couldn't go to Walmart and buy a Bible for five bucks back then. If you were going to read the Bible, you actually had to go to where there was one to read. And that's just what they did. Was it wrong for them to do that? No. But if all of a sudden I'm just like, you know what, we're making a tradition we're having a daily group Bible reading time here. That's not a bad thing. But if all of a sudden we make it a commandment, some of you are going to start coming in here and doing it out of obligation. You're going to come in here. You're going to put in your time. You're not going to pay attention to what's being read. You're going to get turned off to reading the Bible. It's going to become a vain, empty habit. And did you know at that point, even if this was a command, you still wouldn't be pleasing God. You wouldn't be pleasing God if you did that because God's not interested in what you can get your carcass to do and physically get your carcass to do. He's interested in your heart. He wants your heart to be in it. That's what he's been looking for. And often our traditions, we make the things of God monotonous. We make it an obligation. We make it something that we have to do to please the brethren and to stay in good standing with everybody. And we've got a sorry attitude the whole time. And if that's your attitude, you're, you know what? You're not obedient to God. You're not doing it for the right reasons. God's not pleased. And so, verse 10. So after Jesus has called um, out their hypocr hypocrisy... Jesus had a bunch of people who had actually violated the law of God, and they tried to call him out for not following their tradition. Okay, these people, they were good at washing their hands. They had that down. Okay, they, man, they were good at it. But you know what? Jesus said, your hearts are far from me. So he wasn't pleased. So look what it says in verse 10. And I love this. So after he has this encounter, after getting rebuked by a bunch of wicked Pharisees for not washing his hands, he gets the multitude together. He called the multitude, okay? Because this is what Jesus is here for. Jesus is here to do some heart transplants. Jesus has come to earth to change some hearts. He didn't just come to heal people of sicknesses and to raise people from the dead. He came to save people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus, he gets the multitude together and he says, okay, and I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think I'm reading between the lines or adding anything here, okay? He's been talking to these people and all of a sudden now he gets a multitude together, okay? You get a multitude together, you're not going to say, hear and understand. You know what he did? I think he did. I think he got as loud as he could. He said, hear and understand. Okay? It's like he's wanting to get everybody's attention, all right? He's been talking to these Pharisees about something foolish. And all of a sudden he's like, I've had enough. And he looks out, gets the multitude. All right, everybody get ready. Hear and listen. 
It is not that which goeth into the mouth that defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. I believe he shouted that at the top of his lungs to that entire multitude of people. And in their minds, in the minds of those Jews back then, this would have confused them greatly because God gave them dietary laws, didn't he? God gave them very strict dietary laws. But here's the thing. The, you know, what was the point of the dietary laws? I mean, does eating shrimp just defile your body and make you a worse person? I mean, you know, I think it makes me a better person when I eat shrimp personally. You know, I, I, I think eating ham and pork makes me a better person. It really makes me happy and puts me in a good frame of mind and get, puts me in a good mood. I think it makes me a better person, you know, you know, physically speaking, medically speaking. You know, I, I don't know. You know, we can talk about that some other time. But here's, why did God give them this dietary It was the whole point of dietary laws was not so they would have a holy and righteous body, but it was a reminder to them that they were a separate people that had been separated to God. Hey, you aren't like the rest of this world. That's what he, that's how it was for Israel. God gave them those dietary laws. God gave them laws about the type of materials that they were supposed to wear, that they couldn't wear. God wanted them to be visibly different from all other nations in the world because they were a holy, sanctified, set-apart people. And that's what they were supposed to be. And so God gave them these things. Now, what makes us different than the rest of the world today, it's not our physical makeup or anything like that. It's our it's spiritual. And so we don't, do, we don't practice those things anymore. But they were supposed to practice those things back then. So that them, every time... They wouldn't eat shrimp. Every time they'd smell a ham cooking and weren't allowed to eat that, it was a reminder they belonged to God. God gave them those reminders. They didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them like we do today. So they needed those reminders in their lives. That's why God gave them those things. And so to them, shrimp or you know pork entering into them would defile them. But folks, no food entering your body defiles you, but disobedience to God defiles you. Do we think there was something magical in that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did they fall because of the ingredients of that fruit? Or was it because of disobedience? What brought about the fall of man? What did Satan put on that apple? You know, what is in, you know, what, I mean, do, you know, maybe... I'm sure if Sir Ruckman and I, you know, studied, you know, the you know, the makeup of an apple, they could find some kind of six 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 things in there or something, and you know, and that's why they fell. No, folks, it was disobedience. Okay, it was disobedience, and we don't even know it was an apple. Okay, we don't. I don't know what it was. I think it was a grapefruit. Those are gross, but but you know, those are evil. Now, I think the only fruit I don't like probably, but you know, either way, doesn't matter. It was disobedience. Disobedience was the problem. And Israel, them eating pork, it's not that the pork's going to defile their body and make it less holy, but their disobedience, their rebellion in their hearts, that would make them worse people. That type of thing is what defiles them. And so verse 12 of Matthew 15 says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Well, of course they were offended, because these people made themselves about their traditions instead of their, you know, these things being about God. It was all about the Jews. 
for them. It was all about them. It was all about pointing people to them. Hey, I've never ate this. I wash my hands. I give tithes. I do this. I do that. But the whole thing, they were supposed to be glorifying God, and they weren't doing it because their hearts weren't right. They were identified by their traditions instead of being identified by their God, which is what they should have been identified by. That was the whole point of all these things. And so verse 13 says, He answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us the parable. And he and Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Even the disciples struggled with this concept. As Jews, they were so big on their traditions. They had the traditions yelled about so much and shoved down their throats so much. He can't even get the spiritual truth that God's not that interested so much in what you do. He's interested in your heart. They just, they couldn't get this concept. No, I I thought my body was pure because I've never eaten pork. I thought I was a good Christian because, you know, I always do these things. I thought I was, we were special because we were circumcised. That's what these people are thinking in their minds and they're wrong. The disciples struggle with this. So in verse 17, it says, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. Listen, anything you eat, going to the sewer okay and that's just this is a fact it doesn't defile you okay but jesus said that what comes out of your mouth the things you say that defiles you because it shows what's in your heart you know if you have a filthy mouth it's because you have a filthy heart and your heart's filthy not because you got it clogged up with cholesterol from all the bacon grease you ate you know your heart is corrupted and your and your mouth is corrupt the words are, are corrupt because of the fact you have a wicked heart because of the sin because of the things that you've watched and looked at and the things that you've thought on and dwelt on they have they have messed up your heart and so because of that bad things come out of your mouth and it doesn't matter maybe, maybe you never ate bacon in your life maybe you're an all organic diet but you know you can be an all organic diet and you can have a super healthy heart. You can run marathons and still have a wicked heart that's defiled every day by all the junk that comes out of your mouth. By all the wickedness and the things that you say, the way you talk about people, the way you treat people with your mouth. These are the things that defile the man. And Jesus said in verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. What you eat how you wash your hands, these customs, they don't make you a better person. They don't make you any more holy. So don't think that because you did some outward thing that all of a sudden now you're a good person and you've got a good heart. There is nothing about our physical makeup that makes us acceptable to God. A perfect diet will not sanctify you. I don't care if all you eat is barley green. A perfect diet will not sanctify you, will not make you a better Christian. What God is interested in is our hearts. And so just briefly, what I want to do, I want to do like Jesus, and I just want to kind of gather you all together, and I want to slowly yell some important concepts at you that I just don't think people get sometimes. Okay? 
And, and you might get offended by this like the Pharisees. Okay, if you get offended by anything I say, it's because you're a Pharisee. You need to get a heart transplant. Okay? So I'm just going to put that out there right now in case anybody thinks about getting offended. All right, but let me just yell a few things. There's a lot we could do. All right, but here's, here's one. Missing church does not defile a man, but wrong priorities do. Okay? Listen, if I have to get up here and preach a sermon and give you a list of excuses that are appropriate for skipping church. Okay, my wife's going to have a baby on Wednesday. That counts. All right, you get allowed to skip church if you have a baby. She's going to have it on Wednesday. Uh, I'm expected to be at the hospital through these things. And, you know, my dad used to say things, and I, and I agree with him, is, you know, he's like, I'm going to miss church for that because, you know, somebody could take my place behind the pulpit, but nobody can take my place as, you know, my wife's husband, you know, while she's giving birth. Okay? And so I... I have to do that. Okay, I, I can be replaced here. I can't be replaced there. That's a good excuse. All right. So if I miss this Wednesday, I'm covered. All right. I'm good. Right. I'm not defiled because I have created a rule. I have created an exception. And folks, there's an exception. Okay. If you got coronavirus, that's a good excuse. To stay home from church. Okay? But if I have to make a list of things, you know, where it's appropriate for you to miss, you know, chances are you got a heart problem. You know what? God wants you here because you want to be here. God wants you to be here faithfully because your priorities are right. Now, if you want, I can make a list of priorities for you that I think are right. But do I have to do that? Actually, if your hearts are right, I don't have to do that, do I? I won't have to get up and preach a message and say, here's excuses you can miss church. Here's the reason you can't. I don't want to have to do that. And the thing is, you got people they'll talk about, you know, you know, I've never missed church except for, and then, you know, because everybody's missed church for something, right? But so then, you know, they'll give you their list that they've created of things where it's okay. But you know what? There's a lot of people that are like that, that never miss church, and they got sorry hearts. They do that so they can brag about it and condemn everybody else that's not there. So great, you came to church, but you didn't do it out of love for God. You did out of love for yourself because you want to show everybody how righteous you are. And these are the things that a lot of people just don't seem to get. It's just like, and it's like you do. You got to write everything out for them. You got to give them a list. I got to just, I got to, I got to make a YouTube clip showing a short list of all the examples or instances where you can skip church. I shouldn't have to do that. If your heart's right, you'll be in church every time you're supposed to be in church. Well, what is that? Don't make me tell you. If, again, if I have to tell you something's wrong with your heart. Like what David said, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He didn't say, I was glad they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Or he didn't say, you know, I was glad or, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't say that, you know, I was glad when I had to be there you know, because of some list. You know, he wanted to be there. Now, I'm sure there was times he wasn't able to go there. And whenever he wasn't able to go there, he was disappointed. You know, if your heart's right, you'll always be disappointed when you're not able to make it to church. If your heart's right. And so, you know, looking for a list, it's wrong, right? Let me, so let me yell another thing at you that you need to understand. Being physically pure, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about, you know, when it comes to the physical relationships between men and women, being physically pure does not make you spiritually pure. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, Ye have heard that it was said in old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. 
Why did Jesus say that? You know what? Because a lot of people are just, they're so wicked and they're so depraved. As long as whatever they do comes short of the act of physical adultery, I'm a virgin, I'm pure, I'm good. Did you know you can be physically a virgin and still be a pervert? That's very possible, especially in the age of the internet when pornography is so available, you can warp your mind, you can trash your mind, you can be an evil, sick, little pervert, but physically in your flesh, you're still a virgin. And a lot of people, and a lot of young people, it's like they, they get around the opposite sex and they start doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but they feel like they're okay because we haven't fornicated. No, you're still out of line, you're still wrong, what you're doing is still wicked. You're still sick in the heart. You're a pervert. I would never let you around my daughter. And you can, you can beat your chest about being a virgin all you want. You're still a sick, twisted pervert. But I never committed. The... You see how people get? See how people, they miss the point? Oh, I never committed adultery. Yes, but Jesus said, you've done it in your heart. Hey, you know, who cares what you haven't done if all, you know, if your mind is just full of that, that's where your heart is, that's your desire, okay, you're missing the point. You miss the boat. We see in 1 John 3, okay, here's, let, me, here's, let me yell another thing at you. Just because you haven't killed anybody doesn't mean you're not a murderer. Okay, 1 John 3, 40, now legally you're not a murderer. Legally we should not put you to death. You know, if you, if you hate people, Jesus said, or uh, John said, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So, you know, what's going on here? Okay. Well, you know, here's the thing. Okay. A relationship where we have to be physically restrained from doing wrong is not a good relationship. Okay. If my wife has to track me with an ankle monitor and I've got to wear a body camera, if that's what it takes to keep me from committing adultery, I'm a bad person. I've never committed adultery. Yes, because you're wearing an ankle monitor and a body camera and your wife's tracking you 24-7. But if you didn't have the ankle monitor and the body camera on you, you'd be committing adultery. Now, I'm not an adulterer, though, because I, I haven't done that yet. I haven't crossed that line. Yeah, you are. You are in your heart. You're wicked. You're sorry. You're missing the boat. You're missing the point. And so the thing is, too, if you, if you know, the only, if the only reason you're not hating your brother and killing your brother in Christ is because you go to prison, if that, you know, that's why a lot of people don't kill people. Do you know that? There's a lot of people out there that have not killed anybody. They've not stolen anything because they don't want to go to jail. And you know, good. I'm glad they've been restrained. But you know what? God wishes they didn't want to be a murderer. God wishes they didn't want to kill people. God wishes they didn't want to steal. God wishes they had a good heart and were loving to people. That's what God wants. Yeah, you've set a standard. I'm good as long as I've never killed anybody. But God has a higher standard than that. And that's it. Don't even hate people in your heart. That's, what, that's God's standard. That's what God wants. And so just because you did something God told you to do, that doesn't mean you're obedient. Now think about that one for a minute. Just because you did something God told you to do doesn't mean you're obedient. Because what do we like to do? Whenever we get called out for something wrong we've done, we like to bring up something good that we do. 
But imagine it this. Well, turn over to uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. We don't have time to read it. You all know this passage. What's the first and greatest commandment? Somebody tell me. Love the Lord, right? That's the first and greatest commandment. That's the most important thing we ought to be doing. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time. All right, so let's suppose that I tell my son, and quite often, you know, I forget things, and I'll, I'll call the boys and I'll tell them to come drop something off at the church. I just told Jason this week, hey, can you bring the ladder? by to the church okay if i now if i tell jason hey i need you to come to the church and to bring the ladder and then he comes to the church and doesn't bring the ladder was he obedient he came to the church that's what i told him to do wasn't it yes but the whole point of him coming to the church is i needed that ladder okay and he just comes here and is like well you know i think that was enough okay I mean, I'm here. That's what you asked me to do. But yes, but the reason I wanted you here was because I needed the ladder. Now, what is it that God wants from us? Is it that God just needs us to do all these works for him because no works are going to get done without us? Or does God want us obeying him out of love? So what if I'm going soul winning without the love of God? What if I'm going to church without the love of God? Listen, God is the creator of the universe. In reality, what does he really what what does God physically need from us? Listen, God is not impressed and just overwhelmed with, you know, gratitude today because we got our sorry carcasses in the church. God's not looking like, man, I just I really needed that seat filled with your body today. No, God wants obedient people who love him that are here to worship, here to learn about him. That's what God wants. And so if you, you can come to church and you can claim you're obedient all you want, but if you're not loving God, you're not obedient. You missed the point. You missed the whole point. It, was, it, was completely, it would have been completely pointless if Jason would have come to the church and not had the ladder. I didn't need him here. I needed the ladder. And God wants, the thing that God wants from us is our love. God wants our hearts. And if we're physically doing all the right things and our hearts aren't there, then you know what? We're not obedient. We're not doing anything. It's completely pointless when it gets there. The whole point of us doing the things that we do is we're supposed to glorify God. We're supposed to love him. And if we leave that out, we didn't do anything. If I go and I get more people saved by disobeying God, was God glorified in that? You know, and a lot, a lot of times, too, people use that as justification for bad things. Well, people got saved. Listen, obedience to God is the most important thing. Glorifying God is the most important thing. Yeah, but these people, listen, you'll all, at the end of the day, you'll always get more saved if you're obedient to God. Okay? Glorifying God is the main thing. And I'm afraid today, too, let me just say this. There's a lot of people out there regurgitating the right gospel that aren't saved. How can you say that? Well, it does say in Romans 10, 10, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I think a good way to illustrate this, when I used to teach in the Christian school, uh, they, had, they had an ACE school there. And this would happen quite often where uh, if you're familiar with ACE, you have like a self-test that you take. And then you have a test that is often very similar to the self-test. And in the, in the self-test, it would have like a question, for example, I went out like the name of the first president was blank and you had to fill it in. And so the kids were right, George Washington, the self-test. 
But then a lot of these kids, on the test, it would say the name of the first blank was George Washington. And then they wouldn't get it. And, and, and I was just like, did you guys just like memorize the blanks that you filled in on your self-test? Or did you actually learn the material? And the truth is, that's often what happened. The kids just would kind of like memorize things, but they didn't actually learn it. They didn't actually internalize it. So when you threw them a curveball, they didn't know what to do. That happened all the time, and it would drive me crazy. As a teacher, like, you guys obviously aren't learning anything. They're like, well, they changed everything on the test. All they did is they just moved the, you know, they, you had to fill in a different blank. It was the same thing. Or they would sometimes rephrase the question. And I said, listen, if you actually understood this, if you actually knew this, then you could ask it in different ways and you'd get it. But they weren't thinking about it. They just wanted to pass that test. And so that, that's what they would do. And listen, when they would get thrown by questions like that, it was because they didn't understand the subject. They had a script memorized, and a lot of people have a script memorized when it comes to the gospel. They watch enough preaching. They watch enough videos. They know what to say. But whenever somebody comes along and maybe words things a little bit different, not saved. Oh, really? Because I'm actually listening to what they're saying. And yeah, they worded it a little bit different. But it's the same thing that they're talking about. They used a different terminology. They had a different method of getting the point across. But folks, it was this, it's the same thing. It's clear they're talking about the same Jesus. Maybe the termin, you know, terminology is a little bit different. And a lot of times that happens. You know, People, they listen to preaching, and it's like they've memorized these answers. And whenever somebody says has a little bit of a different script, you know, you're not going to find any two tra- gospel tracts that are worded exactly the same. And you know what? Don't take our gospel tracts out there and then make that, you know, the standard for what everything's supposed to be and then go condemning all other gospel tracts because they're not worded exactly the same. At the end of the day, those of us who actually understand the gospel, those of us who actually get the spiritual message, we can hear if that's there or not when we read somebody else's track, when we hear somebody else present the gospel. We're able to tell that. And I've seen it before where people who are clearly saved because they just didn't say something right, all of a sudden people's like, oh, they're not saved and they're trying to lead them in the sinner's prayer again. And it's like, what is wrong with you? You know, they're calling out people that are heretics that, that aren't. And it's like, I'm sorry that guy didn't memorize the same script that you memorized. But he's saying the same thing. And it's clear when people get that way that they just don't understand it. That's all there is to it. If a little change in the script throws you off, you didn't get it. If you can't, if you get thrown off because you know your test changed the where you fill in the blank and now you can't get it right, you didn't know it. You didn't know the material. And I'm afraid a lot of people they don't understand the material here. You know why? Because it's not in their hearts. That's why. That's why. It's not in their hearts. And listen, in a world of Google, in a world of YouTube, people have gotten really good at giving accurate verbal answers to even spiritual questions. Anybody can look it up. But there is no doubt people's hearts are farther from the truth 
in many cases than ever before. And you know what? We need to be spiritual heart surgeons today by being spirit-filled Christians that are able to lift up the cross and show a spiritually dead world Jesus Christ. We've got to be able, we've got to be able to do that. We've got to get across the spiritual message. And folks, we're able to do this when our hearts are right. We're able to do this when we have the filling of the Holy Spirit and we can actually understand these things. You'll actually be able to listen to another preacher that's not me, who maybe is a little is a different style, has a different method, uses different terminology, and you'll be able to actually get the message. You'll be able to read the Apostle Paul and then read Peter, and you're not going to be like a Ruckmanite that thinks they're talking about two different Gospels. Yeah, but they use two different words. Yeah, they use different terminology because they're two different people, but there's no doubt they're talking about the same Gospel. Listen, when you're reading the Bible and you think Jesus and Paul preached another gospel because some of their wording is different, or that John the Baptist, because his wording is different, you're missing the point. You don't get the spiritual message. When you think Abraham got saved by works, you don't understand the gospel. You don't get, you just don't understand the concept of how it works. But it doesn't say in the Old Testament, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But if you understand the spiritual concept of that and what it means to actually believe and have faith as accounted for righteousness, you'll see it's the same gospel throughout the whole Bible. But because wording's different, because it's a different verse, some people, it, it just completely goes over their head. And they're even giving, some of these people are giving lip service to the right gospel today, but yet they can't understand the gospel in the Old Testament. Oh, what's wrong here? What's, you really are going to tell me Abraham got saved by works? You're going to tell me David got saved by works? You crazy? I'm not seeing that because I get the spiritual concept of it. And you know what? you'll be able to do that when you get a heart transplant. You'll be able to do that when you get that spiritual heart transplant. And Israel never got theirs. Israel, couldn't, Israel could not see these things. It just kept going over their head. You know, there was a remnant that did. But as a result of that, you know, they, they end up getting themselves in a lot of trouble. And we don't want that to be us today. There's a lot of religious people sitting in churches. They're as lost as could be. They're as lost as the devil. And they need a spiritual heart transplant. They need one quick. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, dear God, that this was a help uh, to everyone. I pray that this message came across clearly to everyone. Help us to realize, Lord, we are not holy and special because of anything that we do. Uh, Lord, we're holy and special a hundred percent because of what jesus christ did for us and so god from here on out while we have these sinful vile bodies waiting for our new glorified bodies i pray lord that from the heart we will just do our best uh, to serve you in this rotting flesh of ours just giving you the honor and glory for everything that's done in your name we pray.